Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I sense a disturbance in the force as Javi. <laughs> and uh, here we are. The moment we've been waiting for for months. You know we started doing this series in May? Holy shit, this really <laughs> did take us a while. <laughs> uh, this week we're covering the 1977 movie Star Wars. Which, oh, yeah. in our chronology, like in terms of the entire series, it's known as episode four but for the sake of this episode we're just gonna refer to it as star wars do you want to tell people listening uh what you plan to do or the little interesting factoid when uh, all these films came out uh what would my factoid be how you're gonna release our episodes with or these next three episodes with the titles that at the time of their release oh okay yep well again this episode's gonna be titled star wars just um, Star Wars, not a new hope, so don't go looking for that. <laughs> I mean, if you're hearing this, you already found it, so... <laughs> and uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi are going to retain their original titles, which was b- without the Star Wars semicolon. So. so when did the Star Wars semicolon and the episode you know, 5 and 6 enter continuity? Because honestly... With George Lucas's prequel trilogy. This is Super Mandela Effect, where I just can't tell you when it happened. And to a certain point, I feel like it's just always been there. Well, yeah, because we were growing up at a time when the prequels are already coming out. But this is something that strictly comes from the prequels. That's so interesting. If you talk to, like, Gen X Star Wars fans, like, they they will remember these things from the original titles. So wait, I feel like it's younger millennials that really refer to it as episode blah, one blah, blah. and two and three. Because a lot of like the jaded ones refer to those as dog shit. <laughs> well, then... people who grew up on the original trilogy, like they the the prequels are like bastardizations of that, right? Yeah, but fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is an interesting movie because, despite the fact that I had seen it. As a very, very young person. Like, I was five probably the first time that I watched it. I was, like, in daycare. Um, I did not remember... I mean, like, I remember the beginning of it, but I didn't fully watch it and pay attention to it until I was a full-grown adult already. Wait, you watched it when you were five? Yeah. What? Where did you watch... Where does a five-year-old even go to watch Star Wars? Well, some of the kids at, like, the daycare that I was at were older than me, so they would watch it. We, I, that's where I watched Jurassic Park. That's where I watched Star Wars. Hey, Angel, do you want to see a movie with titties? And then you're just like slobbering. That's where I watched uh, Never Ending Story as well. I had never that, seen that Is that, that the one with Falcor? Yeah. Never seen it, so huh, I can't wait for <laughs> someone to be like, Let's, we're going to watch it now. <laughs> um, and But I mean, growing up, I knew what Darth Vader was. I knew a lot of the scenes from the movie. I knew the characters. Uh, this is just a movie that is part of pop culture. And that even though you haven't may have not seen it, you've seen it before. Um, and I also have to say that I watched some of the spoofs before I watched this. Like shows like Animaniacs would do like, they would do spoofs on it. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. Family Guy would do spoofs on it. Like, you know, like all these different television shows. Simpsons, Robot Chicken. Yeah, Robot yeah. Chicken did a shit ton. So it's... And I mean, this is also a story that you get to, like, see over and over. Like, if you think space opera, you're gonna think Star Wars at some point. Yeah. Well, funny enough, I watched episode one first because I was under the assumption 
that these movies were meant good. (laughs) Well, I was under the assumption that these movies were meant to be watched in order. I mean, for all intents and purposes, you were right. (laughs) Are you sure about that? (laughs) I will say this though, like this being my first time watching it in terms of this is my first time watching all of these movies in such a close succession. Where you really can see which ones are shit and which ones shine. <laughs> well, that and then it's just the fact that we just watched Rogue One a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Like, the shadow of Rogue One looms very large over this movie for me now. And actually, to be totally honest, so does the shadow of Solo. Solo, yeah. Yeah, so, like, like I, 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 and I have to admit, I appreciate this movie so much more because, I don't know, this just feels like maybe my best experience having seen this movie before. It's interesting watching this movie after... is uh, Watching this movie right after watching Rogue One. And just the context of what goes on in the New, Ho- New Hope in relation to what led up the week before. <clears throat> essentially what is the week before... Uh, the beginning of New Hope, right? Yeah. So it's like, crap, dude. Like, I think you're right. That's a good way of putting it. It does give you a whole new, like, sense of... Um, stakes? Yeah. I mean, it adds more stakes to, to the fact that everything that went down in Rogue One... And that's why it makes it so interesting, like, when we get to the climax of this movie of A New Hope, and you're just like... Like, night and day, the difference between that final, like, dogfight scene in this film as opposed to, like, the entire war and destruction of a planet that went down in Rogue One, you know? Right. And like I said before, like, watching this movie and you watch the destruction of Alderaan, that's one thing. But the fact that, like, what I was really shocked by is because I've watched Rogue One a lot and very recently is Rogue One does a much more dramatic job of showing planets, like, destroying themselves. Like, to the point where it looks like an atom bomb, like, yeah! blew up in the distance. Except imagine the atom bomb is in the center of the Earth and everything's on fire. <laughs> but it's like, this one is just, like, immediately explodes, which, okay. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I know. <laughs> the technology could have improved in a week, I guess. Like, remember... <laughs> I forgot what movie it is where it's like it takes a while for the beam to finally to get to the planets. And then when you watch A New Hope and it was just like instantaneous. <laughs> but we'll get into that in a little bit. But before we continue with, uh, you know, talking about Star Wars, right? I do want to ask you this. How do you think your experience with the franchise would be different if the series started with Solo? Woo, sorry. With Solo instead of... Episodes one through three. I don't know. I mean, there's very little of the prequels that kind of like that's that really have anything to do with anything at this point for me. Well, Um, Revenge of the Sith, right? Well, Revenge of the Sith. That's the like obvious one that has anything to do with these. Yeah, sure. I mean, that one does. Um, But then the fucking side story with Chewie, like I completely disregard that. The like you, stuff, like, like you can ignore that, right? Yeah. Like that. I don't know. I feel like I, I, I would be more interested to to know what I would feel like if this was my introduction to the Star Wars series. Like if mm-hmm. I had never seen a prequel before, I watched the original. This was my experience, or this was my intro into the series. So this was really interesting because I think I was maybe seven years old. Mm. And then my sister got me a copy of a, v- a VHS copy of Star Wars. I was like seven or eight years old, and she got it for me. 
And I watched that thing until the tape was demagnetized. Okay. And until it was just like, there was no way to keep watching it. Like, I can't even tell you where that cassette is anymore, but I, like, I loved it, and I can't explain why. Like, because it was one of those things. I watched it as a kid. I thought it was really cool because it was just, like, it was a cool space story. And then when I got to be about 15 or 16, and then I got into, uh, like, an English literature class, and then they started talking, or my my teacher started talking about uh, Carl Jung, and talking about, uh, I think it was Jung, uh, was he the one that came up with the, uh, what's it called, uh, the Hero's Journey? Uh, no, I think the Hero's Journey is, they say Campbell? I Joseph think. Campbell, that's what I'm yeah. thinking of. I mean, I guess, yeah, go watch Carl Jung, or, jo- yeah, Carl Jung. Carl Jung is the subconscious dreams guy. Oh, fuck, you know what? <laughs> I'm 28, I don't remember shit from 12 years ago. <laughs> So the point is, Joseph Campbell was the one that came up with the uh, with the hero's journey, right? And I remember watching this uh, documentary that my teacher showed us, where we talked about like the importance of the hero's journey and how every fucking hero story all traces back to the hero's journey, and how Star Wars was actually one of those movies that like embodied the example of the hero's journey the best right Mm -hmm. anywhere from the call to the action to the fall to the rise to the triumphant victory to your hero having to go you know because their their experience has changed them so much that there's no way they can lead a normal life after that and watching it under that um under that lens just made the film even that more interesting for me mm-hmm. especially since it was you know it's a movie that came out in 1977 so this is a movie that came out at this point 30 almost 40 years no 30 years because it would have been 2007 so it came out 30 years before like then and i was just like oh crap like i still relate to this story in some way you know so it was really cool, um, and yeah, like A New Hope has always been my favorite one in the in the favorite entry in the series. Um, and I, I really, I just can't wait to talk about it. Do you know it well enough to tell the differences between the original cut and the oh, newer cut of this yes, film? Yes, I do. All right. I thought I wasn't gonna be able to tell the differences. And then I watched the new cut. That's the that's the cut I watched this time. Yeah, I think this is the if you if you watch the same cut that I did, mm-hmm. it was the 2011 Blu-ray. I cut. watched the if I so this has to be the new cut with all the new edits, and it take and it takes out all the weird scenes, right? Does it have the uh, Jabba the Hutt scene in it? <laughs> yes, it does. It's. Is it the one... It's the one with Jabba the Hutt and Han Solo talking about how he owes Jabba money. And Han walks around him and steps on his tail. Yeah, but And does, it looks super awkward. But does he do the, like, crazy exaggerated face? Or does he just, like, make, like, an angry, like, grunt at the fact that Han is stepping on his tail? I want to say it's just the angry grunt. Okay. Because there's two different versions of it. There was so a wait, version... There's- Two different versions to a scene that was a yeah. deleted scene? Yeah, so initially there is a uh, Java scene Java scene with worse CGI that came that, that uh, re-release was around the time of Phantom Menace. Oh, and so it looks like it ass. was a lot more cartoonish. Uh-huh. And so this one is like a 
kind of they they redid the CGI for the Jabba scene, and it looks a little bit more subtle. And it looks more subtle. Um, is, so is that the one I saw, the redone one? That's what I'm thinking. Okay. So I don't think it was cartoonish anyway. No, no, no. Because if you look at it, like it it literally looks like something that's not even good enough for the Clone Wars series. Oh my like, god. Like it is highly animated. And I mean, I'm sure you know the reason why that scene is as awkward as it looks. And that's mm-hmm. because it was cut from the original movie and the character of Jabba the Hutt was originally like a human person who was a smuggler. So that's why like Han unnaturally looks like he steps up. Right. As opposed to like him cuz that that's what I didn't notice is that when yeah. he walks around it looks super weird. So now I just want to say this. There is quite a few CGI. There was a lot of CGI added because yes. because you know George Lucas finally had the budget to bring his his fucking his dream to life. And there were parts with droids that were throwing other droids against rocks. Yep. And there was stupid dinosaur things. And holy shit, did it infuriate me. I was like, fuck this. I hated that they redid so much. There was a lot of background stuff. There was so much more stupid background stuff. The speeder, when they go up to the cantina... Looked so fucking like that whole scene when they're driving in through the city. I like it. It looks stupid. Shut up. Fuck you. I hate you. <laughs> Are you serious? I like it. That looked. It looked like dog shit. I again. It. I was... know I've seen. I know I've seen the original like and then, scenes without the CGI in it, but I, this is the version that I've watched the most often, and it's the one that I remember the best. Most Eisley is supposed like I liked most Eisley when it was like a weird desolate den of thieves and shit and all of a sudden it's just like a big city but it's like a very fake looking city so i'm like give me back my stupid desert hellhole like, yeah it looks is... like it looks like episode one and that's what pisses me off is that one of the things i always felt like with star wars that okay i can always go back to a new hope and it'll be different and it'll be original and it won't have any of the weirdness right and then when i watched the movie i watched to get ready for this episode i was like oh my fucking god it looks so bad. And it just pisses me off because I know that originally this movie wasn't connected to those three pieces of dog shit we watched a couple weeks ago. But now it is. And now I'm sad. <laughs> oh, I fucking hated it. So the movie itself starts with... It starts on the rebel ship where Rogue One ends, right? Like, yep. these movies are feeding right into each other, at least in our kind of review that we're going through. Well, into the new Star Wars verse, right? Yeah. So the new continuity puts us literally right where uh, Rogue One dropped off, just like you said. So now we have the context as to why everyone was already for to be attacked, and because they were already in the middle of being boarded by uh, yes. by the Empire. Um, we see Leia like uh, putting in a note or or putting that video message to Obi Wan uh, in R two D two, programming it. And then R2-D2 and C-3PO uh, are, we see them for the first time, we see Darth Vader, we see Leia, we see all of these characters, and I have to say this, when I go back to the original Star Wars trilogy, especially a new, especially this New Hope, I, like, get such a sense of the fact that we're watching a 70s movie. Yeah. Like, it is something that feels like it's, again, it's trying to be futuristic and something in space and all that good stuff. It's what someone from the 70s thought the future would look like. Yeah. 
And it's also just like, I'll say this too, like there's also a lot of elements of the set design and just kind of like how things are shot where it feels horror movie-ish a little, a little bit, bit to me too. Like there are parts of some of these ships where there's no light showing up where it does feel like something out of Alien, mm-hmm. which would come two years later. It's really interesting because the uh, another little thing I noticed is the... The, and you brought it up when we want when we watched Rogue One how you hear the emergency alarm going off, and then uh, it like it continues in this film as well. Like you hear that same like siren going off in the background. So yeah, it's like it's interesting because Rogue One really primes you to like be familiar with not just like the locations or just what certain things look like, but also just what sounds like Star Wars too. Yeah, and in this one, Darth Vader is not force choking anyone in the beginning. At least he's actually picking guys up. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not doing no weird shit. Um, oh god. So we get R two D two and C three PO who escape uh, from the ship, and they are gonna go to the planet of Tatooine. Yep. So they get dropped down to the. They get dropped down to Tatooine on an escape pod. Leia gets captured. Right after a, uh, I love this scene where she gets captured because one of the stormtroopers very clearly says, set, set your lasers to stun. Mm-hmm. And she caps that dude. <laughs> she just straight kills that guy. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah, stormtroopers are things that I remember from my, like, childhood looking so cool. But when you see them in movies, they are, like, so ineffective. <laughs> As a wrestling fan, all I can think of is Shockmaster every time I see a Stormtrooper outfit. <laughs> a glittery Stormtrooper and a guy just like crashing through a wall. And there's a scene later on in this movie where they like cut a perfect circle out of the wall and then they like punch through it and then that Stormtrooper immediately gets killed <laughs> and then he falls over and he looks like the Shockmaster <laughs> falling through the wall. <laughs> Oh, God. So, we cut over to Tatooine, where these little tiny Jawas are essentially merchants. Little little merchants. And they go around, they uh, they capture... Or, they capture the droids, so that, they way, that way they can sell them, right? And then we get introduced into two yeah, moisture farmers, uh, Owen and Baru. Yes. I think that's their names. That is their names, yes. And then uh, Owen and Baru have a child named Lars, and they have a nephew named Luke Skywalker. So this is funny because, again, we watched episode two and we watched episode three, and I have to admit, I didn't think this was going to be possible. But I'm getting, but I'm getting flashbacks to episodes two and three right? with yeah. those younger versions of Owen and Baru, and, and you're like, oh, it's just so it's Luke. so fucking wild to me because it's why I said like I appreciate that I'm getting the opportunity to watch all of these together right now because like to me for the longest time like they have felt like three different series. Like, each trilogy has felt like its own series to me. Like, you can watch each one without directly knowing... Yes. What, like, you don't have to watch every every movie in the series, But right? this was, like, one of the first times... Well, the first one was the beginning, but this is the second time after the very beginning where I feel like having watched the past movie in the series is enriching my experience. So, some, but, no, I'm just playing. So, uh, Owen and, 
Owen and Luke end up coming up on these two droids from the Jawas, which are 3PO and R2-D2. Which is a very young uh, Mark Hamill playing Luke like, Skywalker. How old is he? Like 18 at this time? He is so young. But I'll say this. My wife made an observation while we were watching this movie together, and that's when she said, why are the men in this series so whiny? <laughs> that's hella true. Because you see Luke in this movie, he's a whiny little bitch throughout. Yeah, well, let's I want to go with about... my friends and shoot at Walpress. <laughs> yeah. Or when you talking about, I want to get the converter. Like, those who do nothing. <laughs> it is just really whiny. And I was like, okay, fine. I guess it does look like uh, Hayden Christensen was actually trying to copy a little bit of what Mark Hamill had done. I know, suddenly, like, all my fucking terrible... It's just like the two extremes. Mark Hamill is the whiny Luke. And then uh, Hayden Christensen was basically, like, the goth Luke. <laughs> The god apathetic monotone Luke. I'm here to read you some of my poetry. <laughs> and then meanwhile, like Luke's just like, I don't want to listen to your stupid poetry. <laughs> oh god. So Luke ends up, you know, jacking around with R2D2 until he finally like triggers uh, the hologram to come out, and out comes a small version of Leia asking for Obi Wan Kenobi. To help her and that he's her only hope. And right away, Obi-Wan... I mean, Obi-Wan... Luke clearly looks like he's never seen a female. Because it looks like he pops a boner almost immediately. And he's just like, oh, who's that? Yeah, there's a lot of implied sexual tension in this and Empire. To where by the time you get to last, The Return of the Jedi, it's just like, this is gross. <laughs> Please stop! <laughs> But um, interestingly enough, right you know, right after this, you get the dinner scene where he's sitting down with Baru and Baru and Owen, yeah, and um, he's basically talking about how he wants to go join. What is it like the rebellion? He pretty much wants to join the rebellion, and Owen's like, oh, "What's all this then?" <laughs> but it's but interestingly enough, like one of the things I did wonder is like how old is Luke supposed to be because. He acts like a young person, but he doesn't seem that young, at least as he's portraying. And they make it a point to mention that Luke is one of the last of his friends that has remained on Tatooine. And later, you know, towards the end of the movie, he actually runs into one of his friends who did go and become a pilot in the Rebellion. So, the vibe I'm getting is, he's supposed to be young, right? If we're talking about the hero's journey, he's probably turn of age, like trying to become an adult. So I'm guessing he's like 18, where he doesn't really know what he wants to do with his life, but he does know he can't stay in Tatooine because he probably he feels like he's gonna die there, you know. Now, yeah, th- I mean that's the vibe I'm getting from him. Yeah. Um, and he's able to, you know, he he recalls in the in the message they're asking for Obi Wan Kenobi, and he the first thing he says, "Huh, I wonder if that's old Ben Kenobi," and I had to pause. Because I totally forgot he goes by Ben Kenobi in this. He really goes by Ben Kenobi in this. And to the point where he's even reminded of it and like he, even he like is like forgot about it. So he <laughs> forgot his name was Obi Wan and was like, Oh yeah, I haven't heard that name in a long time and then he goes, Of course I know who that is, that's me And I'm like, You shut the fuck up, you cheeky old bastard <laughs> I'm like, You mean to tell me that you you came down to fucking Tatooine. And that's the other part. 
Like this is where this is where the frustration as a fan comes mm-hmm. when you know the story that originally Star Wars was meant to be a standalone film and only because it made a shit zillion dollars that like George Lucas was like, No, but my artistic integrity then he heard Cha Ching and was like, <laughs> I can make some more stories. George Lucas basically makes a career off of this one film. <laughs> so the fact that He's like, no, there's still more of this story to tell. And I'm like, okay, fair, because you go on and Obi-Wan's dead, so you don't have to worry about it. But then you want to tell the prequels later in the future because you actually want to tell the story. And then suddenly, you forget that one, Obi-Wan moved to Tatooine to watch over Luke. Meanwhile, I forgot what the senator's name was, was watching over Leia on, uh, on uh, Alderaan. Which becomes a very important part of episode three's ending. Well, do you know the funny thing is Bill Organa like isn't Bill, dead. There we go. Bill Organa's not dead. At no, the no, end no, of Rogue no. One. Not only that, they brought Jimmy Smith back in yeah. Rogue One. <laughs> so it implies like he's been alive through this whole time. He probably knows that Luke is on Tatooine and that Obi Wan is watching over him. And it's like, so you forgot over those 18 years that you were supposed to be watching over this kid? Yeah, those are the moments where you realize the prequel trilogy is bullshit. Yeah, and then your fake name is just still your real last name! That's so fu- That pissed me off! That was like, oh, I'm not gonna try. Yeah. Oh my god, so... You know, R2-D2 ends up looking for Obi-Wan where he gets captured by sand people, which I'm still not 100% comfortable saying on, like, record, just saying. So Luke and 3PO go go searching after him, and then and they end up getting jumped. So they end up being saved by this old-ass hermit <laughs> who happens to be old Ben Kenobi. So Ben, after talking to Luke and after everything I just complained about, um, admits that he was once Obi-Wan and that he, uh, you know, he has a lot to tell Luke about. Right. Like, Leia makes, uh, she makes mention of the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. so it, like, you know, reminds you of, of it. It, it, at least that kind of stuff, again, reminds you of the prequels and that. Yep. Not that it's something that is super fucking canon, but whatever. You can pick and choose the parts that you want to, that you want to remember from that prequel trilogy to, to stuff it in here if you want. And pretty much, um, Obi-Wan tells Luke about the Jedi Order, what it was about, and how he knew Luke's father. And he even shows him his old lightsaber. And again, I cannot stress this enough, search in YouTube, Obi-Wan has PTSD, (laughs) and watch the scene where, uh, crap, how do I pronounce the actor's name? Alex Guinness or Gynes? It's Alan Guinness. Alan, get shut up. Yes, Alan Guinness. <laughs> so watch the scene where it has Alan Guinness explaining how he knew Luke's father, and it's interspersed with like scenes from Episode Three after Obi Wan and uh, Anakin had their fight on Mustafar, and it's done so well, and it shows you how like the range Alan Guinness has as an actor. To be able to convey so much emotion around something that he has no clue how it played out. So again, if you if you want a fun little tie-in where you want to pick and choose where certain things uh, from episode three matters, yeah, watch that one-minute clip. It's really well done. 
So, are you gonna watch it right now? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I was really hoping you would because it really. No, I've seen me. it. I've seen that video. Yeah, because I made you watch it. Yeah, you showed it to me. Yeah, because it was great. Shut up. Okay. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I do notice, and and probably the reason why this movie was so well received, the plot is relatively simple. It's really easy. Man, it's... we've been watching so many overly fucking complicated Star Wars we've movies been for months. C-span in space. <laughs> we've watched two different heist movies. <laughs> Two different heist movies with like ridiculously complicated like uh, final war like scenes like they, they, they like fucking we've watched all sorts of shit between then and now that to come to something that feels this simple it feels is, nice it's very nice like this movie was out of all the ones that we watched it went by the quickest for me. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I think it really is because it's only like a two-hour runtime. Yeah, like it's not like crazy long like every other Star Wars movie we watched. Um, so uh, R two, you know, once they once they get the message that they need, that's when um, you know we that's when we cut back to the Death Star. So this is one of those weird movies where we're cutting back and forth between characters like a lot. Like it's, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's fully an ensemble cast yet because I feel like the ensemble cast, like I feel like that, that is way more accurate with empire when we get mm-hmm. there. But this one feels like it, in some ways it feels like a television show where we're jumping back between plot A and plot B. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and because you do have an A plot and a B plot. You got the A plot, which is trying to get Obi-Wan to Princess Leia. Mm. Then meanwhile, you got Princess Leia... With Darth Vader. With Darth Vader, <laughs> yeah. And what's really cool is that you do get to see on the... De- like, I actually was very interested in the Death Star scenes because we watched Rogue One. Yes. Because we watched uh, episode Solo, three. right? And because we watched three. episode three, yeah. All, the, all those three things are where you get to see the birth of the Empire and how the Empire becomes what they are now. Mm-hmm. And so by the time that you get to a new hope in that scene where they're all in the conference room and it's like all the back de- backwood dealing or all the back deals that are going on and the weird like fight for powers for the control of the space station then you have that one dude that sounds like super irish that gets choked by uh by darth vader yeah where he's like talking hotoy 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 i will i will say that like seeing uh, f- uh finally seeing peter cushing as uh Grandma Tarkin again for, uh, for the first time in a while. The voice actor who did the impression of him in Rogue One wasn't bad. Super fucking solid. It was actually quite. It felt weird because I talked about how creepy it was to see Peter Cushing and uh, Rogue One. It felt even creepier to see Peter Cushing in Rogue One and then see real Peter Cushing in this movie. I don't know why it makes me think of this, but okay, Halloween H two O. They they uh, in in that movie in the intro like where the opening credits are playing they get a guy and this is kind of related to this but they get a guy named tom kane who's a voice actor yeah who's most famous for uh in video games and part of the clone war series and i think the Rebels series i don't know i think just the clone war series but he's he's a guy who's kind of famous for playing a video game and animated yoda mm-hmm. so he does the voice of him in that Actually did a very good impression of Dr. Loomis in that because they weren't able to get the original recording from Donald Pleasant. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what I think about. It's just like, there's just some of these voice actors that are really good at, at doing impressions of, of you know, famous performances. I mean, there's just guys that have a really good range. And, yeah. you know, you just can't, like, you just got to appreciate when you see good art, right? It's like why so many people love, like, Troy Baker or... Yeah. 
Nolan North or all those like amazing voice actors. It's nice there. to see real life version of Peter Cushing and yeah. not the creepy CGI not creepy, version. Yeah, and not someone with a really good impression of Peter <laughs> Cushing. Um, but it is again. You have like characters like Krennic who are gone now. Like, and there there was an empty seat right in the yep. conference room to where you could kind of infer Krennic was supposed Krennic to was be on there. that board. Like that again. It's, I don't think that George Lucas had all of this planned out, but I think guys like Gareth Edwards are smart enough to look at those original movies like, and I can, I can build put something there and add context to it. And it's really interesting because after everything that happened in Rogue One, whether you're a hero or a villain, the story goes on. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like, you know, not to become a nihilist about it, but it's just like the story isn't done, and so fuck you, Krennic, because you're gone. I'm sorry, Jin, but new heroes. You but know? that was the point. Yeah, that, that was, was the, the point of that. You couldn't yeah. you couldn't introduce a character like Jin Urso, who was such a like hero, such a fucking awesome character, and her and Cassian were such major parts of that last movie. You cannot introduce those characters and have them. Like just exists in another world because you're always gonna wonder how come those characters never came how come into Han the story? hasn't picked them up and yeah. so that way they can all work together you yeah. know yeah yeah so while it is unfortunate that such amazing characters die I mean again this is a space opera get used to your favorite characters dying yeah so after after they decipher the after they decipher the message and R two D two plays that for Obi Wan they. Uh, I think they go back to. I, I think they're on their way to go find the Jawas to find out where they find where they found the droids, mm-hmm. right? And when they get to the Jawas, they find out that they've all been slaughtered and like all their droids have been destroyed and everyone's been killed. So Luke assumes it was the Sand People, but Obi Wan, being you know fucking Obi Wan, notices that you know the the walking patterns. That's where we get all like anytime he says any of those hilarious lines like. You know, oh, sand people walk in lines, like, to hide their numbers. I giggle a little bit, because I remember all those times it was spoofed in, like, uh, in Family Guy or something like that. But when you start watching it and you're, you're for serious again, I was like, oh, now I see what they're setting up here, right? So, essentially, they find out the stormtroopers attack the Jawas trying to find the droids. And Luke is able to put two and two together is that they'll find the bill of sale, which means that they're going to go... <gasps> He goes, Uncle Owen, Emperor, and he takes off in the speeder and just fucking ditches everybody to go straight to the farm. Which I so don't like these uncles of his that I don't give a fuck anyway. Like, let's get away from them. I don't care. Yeah, go ahead. Kill his family. (laughs) I don't give a fuck. And that's exactly what happens. He gets there and he finds the burnt and mutilated corpses of Baru, Owen, and Lars. Lars didn't really do anything anyway, so it's fine. But, you know, it's a really important scene for for Luke. Because Luke, up until now, has been a kid. And you also get the just iconic, dramatic moment where the John Williams score swells. And you see, like, the, you know, the... the you know, this is where you see, like, the, the suns and the moons. and all, mm-hmm. the, the two suns, I think. To me, this scene, to compare it to Rogue One, is Jin finding out that... Uh, that uh galen was like went along with the with the uh empire to you know work to 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 fight them off from the inside it's kind of like that call to action for the Mm -hmm. same thing for the same thing for luke up until now he's been a kid 
He's been wanting off of Tatooine his entire life. And he knows he's meant for bigger things. And yeah. he wanted to join the Rebellion because he, you know, he just wanted a, an excuse to get off the planet. But now he's got nothing to go home to. Yeah. You know, his family's dead. Uh, and he even says it. He, he says that he's going to go to Mos Eisley with, uh, with Obi-Wan because there's nothing for him here anymore. There's also, like, a, a real a real paradox between, like, the way the story plays out for Anakin and then how it plays out for Luke. Mm-hmm. Because Anakin, it's like when people around him start dying, that's when he and Obi-Wan grow further and further apart. Whereas with Luke... They tend to they grow further and further together, mm-hmm. and the different the major differences between Anakin and Luke is that Luke seems more willing to 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 trust other people. Like right because he knows Obi Wan, but I mean he knows of him. That's about yeah. It. He doesn't know him. He doesn't that know well. him. Know him, and clearly Obi Wan's been a shitty protector if he hasn't introduced himself at any point before this film. So it's not like. Yeah, but that is a really good observation. I do really like that, is that he does, like, this does bring them closer together, you know? So they go off to Moss Eisley, and the, the what, what do they call it? A wretched den of uh, villainy and thievery and villainy or whatever the shit. And then we get, oh, God, I fucking hate the CGI going into this. And the reason, you know why I hate it? Because, like you said, it looks like episode one. And it just reminds me of the original trilogy. And it's like, I hate thinking that this is connected to the original trilogy. Are you, are you talking about the prequel trilogy? Uh, well, you know what I mean. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, I'm tired. Yeah, okay. when I see some of these CGI creatures, I think of Jar Jar. Yeah, that's this all is... I think of. And I'm like, this looks like horse shit. I fucking hate this. Yeah, like, you're just like, fuck. You're like, Gungans do live in this world, don't they? <laughs> mm-hmm. But E.T. lives in this world. Remember that. But once you get inside the cantina, <laughs> I love that joke in Family Guy where they're like, "Okay, what song do you guys want to hear next? Yeah. Play the same song." All right. <laughs> yeah, which they play more than one song in this movie. I know, but I like to think that it's just that's the only song people yeah. care about. But like, it's just weird because like some of the aliens in this are like fucking. Devils. They're like, terrifying. <laughs> Again, this is parts of it where I was just like, oh yeah, that's right. This was a 70s movie. So like, that means you don't demons. have... Yeah, you don't have CGI that just add in rendered, like, assets, right? Yeah, you don't have cute rendered aliens looking, like... You don't have any, like, you adorable, have, cuddly creatures yet. You have actual alien xenomorph looking monsters. <laughs> yes. Fucking nightmare In fuel. this cantina, I would actually expect to see a xenomorph. And I would have been cool with it. Like, <laughs> I thought it would have been really radical to have, like, the Aliens franchise be, like, shouted out in this, like, two years before it became a thing. <laughs> or, like, spun off. Yeah, correct. correct. But, uh, yeah, this is where, uh, you know, they are essentially looking for a pilot to fly them to Alderaan so that they can get the Death Star plans to, you would assume, Bail Organa. Yep. And um, this is where they meet uh, Han and Chewie. And right away, we get in, you know, he, he talks about how he made the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs and Which... how the Millennium Falcon is such a great... Uh, such a great ship and it was like i get that now i get the context of what all those things mean again 
it is so much more of a rich experience. Mm -hmm. Especially since, in particular, I feel like more of these movies, because, you know, Empire and, and Return of the Jedi are their own thing, I feel like so many movies call back to New Hope that this feels like just... This is the one where all these different, like, doors and all these different corners of this universe, like, feel like they're all coming together now. If you think of the Star Wars movies all as their own multiverse, this is the core universe yeah. it all branches from. And it's really cool because it was, like, you know, when you think, again, it's how those movies lend context to the importance of these lines and the importance of these events, you know? And what's really cool about it is that, you know, they... They go and they agree that they're going to get the money together, right? And then a, immediately Greedo comes in and he confronts uh, Han about how he owes Jabba money, right? And so we get that juxtaposition of the, the front, right? That Han keeps always trying to be this badass, like, like, like this rogue, right? Like... And then at the same time, you see that he's also still, to this day, kind of a fuck-up. Yeah. That still owes people money the same way he did in Solo, you know? And, of course, we get the, the you know, the never-ending debate. debate, depending on yes. how fucking nerdy you are. And honestly, Solo answered the question, all right? Fucking Han shot first, all right? <laughs> Shit. And you do kind of see it, but then I don't know. Was it edited? I don't know what to trust anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the 2011 one is still edited because I think just just like a split second before, I think it is. Uh, I think it is Greedo that shoots first in this version. Oh God, that it's we so... watched. But again, it's like again, I, I don't get too into the weeds about that. I really don't give a shit like, about that. I don't think it changes the intent, and I don't think it changes his character very much. Honestly, again, Solo answers that question. Yeah. Han shot first when he was fighting against uh, Woody Harrelson because I forgot his character's name. <laughs> the same way he shot first because it's more in line with the character, in my opinion, you know? So then we get introduced to the Millennium Falcon, which is a big old piece of shit. <laughs> yes. Oh no, that's just all I want to say. Like, <laughs> the Millennium Falcon always looks like the, the hottest piece of garbage. <laughs> like, it's the most iconic shitty ship ever. Yeah. Well, somewhere in between this is where we get the Jabba the Hutt scene. Where it was kind of immediately after Greedo is killed. That's right, it is right Jabba after. Jabba just happens to be there. He's just like, I love that it. it's just Jabba shaking his arms, like his fat fucking <laughs> slug arms in the air. Just like, <laughs> give me money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how much this scene adds to it. Not a goddamn thing, really. But, but it is, I do like seeing Jabba here. Um... I like this scene because it's so fucking weird and out of place. So, I, but the rest of the movie, like, yeah, like I mean, whatever. Like, I accept it. But um, so here we now we have Luke, uh, Obi Wan, the droids. They all join uh, Han Solo and and Chewbacca on the on the Millennium Falcon, uh, and they're planning now to travel to Alderaan. And while that is occurring, we get a cut to the Death Star. Where uh, we get back to Grand Moff Tarkin and uh, Darth Vader. Where Leia is in there as well. Yep. And this is the scene where, you know, they decide to show her what the Death Star can do by destroying her home planet of Alderaan. And they ask her where, you know, to spare Alderaan, they ask her to give up the Rebels, right? Yes. Did she give them the actual location of the Rebel base? Or did she lie? I don't remember. 
I can't recall either, to be totally honest. Because I remember she says something, and they're like, oh, well, let this serve as a lesson for because you were too trusting. And they're like, yeah. they blow up Alderaan right away. So is Bale dead now? Yes. Well, the planet is gone. Well, you don't know if he's dead, so everybody dead. is gone. He, nah, he might not. He might have been off-world. Nah, they're all pretty gone. No, that, is that where the... In Rogue One, I think he leaves He leaves whatever base they were all at in Rogue One to go back to Alderaan. So he's dead. Oh, shit. He might be dead dead. <laughs> they're all dead dead. God. The entire planet is gone. This is a Even weird part of it. Even the mustachioed guy? <laughs> the weird part of all of this is where it does feel a little weird that, like, I don't know. I feel like Leia is not as upset about. Oh about no! This. <laughs> They're all gone. <laughs> yeah, it's just there's something a little weird about that. I think for for a series where they've conflated characters like having deep emotions with just being angsty. Yeah. I feel like Leia could have used at least a little bit more angst. I mean, she's also 18, right? So yeah. I mean, she's the twin sister of Luke. Luke didn't really have super much of a uh, reaction to his aunt and uncle and cousin dying. That's true. He was just like, oh no. Well. <laughs> but Luke wasn't royalty. Whereas Princess Leia is literally part of the monarchy that rules that planet. So maybe it was in everyone's best interest that that piece <laughs> of shit planet blew up. <laughs> oh god. Of all the things in Star Wars, that's still the most confusing thing to me. That they have a galactic senate. Well, not anymore. But as of A New Hope, the Emperor like dissolves the senate because he's like, fuck y'all. It's I'm, the, I'm the head bitch in charge. No, he dissolves it at the end of Revenge of the Sith, yes. Well, no, they mention it... Well, he dissolves it at the end of Revenge of the Sith. They don't mention it until 30 years later in A New Hope. They, they mention the senate? Yeah, they say that. Oh shit! You did. It was in that scene when they're all in the conference room with the oh. empty chair. Uh, someone comes in and then says, "Oh well, you don't have to worry about any." Uh, because someone was talking about their senator. Oh, okay. And then someone comes in and says, "You don't have to worry about the senate." Well, that makes sense. Why Bail Organa is still a senator in Rogue One? Then yeah, okay. yeah. Be- so I get it's one of those weird things. Yeah, that- no, that makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's, one it's of probably those- more on me then. But uh, yeah, interesting. It's it's. Yeah, that is pretty interesting to know. Yeah, and like it's just weird to me that they still live on planets where there's kings and queens, who but then there's senators, and you're not exactly sure. But who I didn't has get that power. with Episode One either, right? Yeah. Like where where Padme was Amidala and she was the queen of the planet. Yeah. Like that is again, it's just I I don't. So who cares? I, I'm more not going to spend too much time worrying about the governments here. <laughs> you're right. Like clearly, it's one you're like, emperor. Focus, focus one, on the simple movie, goddamn it. Yeah, one emperor rules everything. I'm not going to get too caught up on Alderaan. Yes, it comes about a little quickly. Yes, Leia seems like she's not as broken up about it as she should be. But again, I'm not going to apply all this nitpicky attitude towards some of the points in this movie. I'm just going to go ahead and accept it. It's a fun space movie from the 70s, nerds. <laughs> Everyone calm down. <laughs> um, Leia is still trapped. And then we cut back to Luke and to the Luke storyline. Where they are traveling into what hyperspace now? Well, they end up getting made by the uh, by the stormtroopers, and they gotta essentially shoot their way out of Moss Eisley. They get on the they get onto the um, or they get onto the Millennium Falcon. And as soon as they get out of atmosphere, they're attacked by a star destroyer. Mm-hmm. So they have to jump into hyperspace almost immediately. 
So they jump into hyperspace. They go flying out. Oh, this is when they. Uh, isn't this when they get on the? They they get on the on the turrets and fight off like a bunch of Tie Fighters. Yes. Yes. They yeah. Do. Yep. So that's where we get that awesome line. Hey, don't get cocky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they fight their way out. And then they shoot off to, to uh, where Alderaan's supposed to be. They get there and they find out that Alderaan's no longer there. They just yeah. get caught in this debris field. And, you know, they assume they see the Death Star, which they assume is a moon. Oh, yeah. They, they, they're they like, oh, there goes, you know, um, they go, oh, it's probably right behind this moon. And yeah. then that's when Alan Guinness, I think, well, that's when Obi-Wan, I think, is the one that says, that's no moon. And that's when they discover... That's the a massive space station. Death Star. <laughs> and they immediately get caught in the tractor field and get pulled in to the Death Star. Right. So they get boarded, and luckily, thanks to the Millennium Falcon being a piece of shit, that, like, deployed all possible escape pods, which is now super dangerous now that I think about it. But with all this escape pods deployed, the, the Empire just assumes that whoever was on the ship jettisoned out before the ship got captured, right? So they managed to escape, or they managed, well, not to escape, sorry, they managed to uh, kill a couple of stormtroopers, take their co- or costumes, <laughs> take their <laughs> uniforms, and sneak their way into the, uh, <laughs> into the Death Star carrying... <laughs> Sorry, I keep laughing because every time I think of the scene of them uh, walking around with uh, Chewie as like their prisoner, I think of K two smacking the shit out of Cassidy. <laughs> Silence, you smack! <laughs> and it's just like, man, I wish K two was in this movie. <laughs> Giant metal hand slapping the shit out of you. <laughs> like that should have killed him. But using uh, using that as cover, they managed to take over a. Um, they managed to take over like a, a a control center, yeah. Where R two is able to hack into hack into the mainframe and gets all up inside the the Death Star's guts. Let's <laughs> <laughs> try not to make that sound gross. So, you know, he starts uh, feeding all this information, and essentially they're trying to they they try to find Leia. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, Obi Wan fucks off into his own side adventure, where he's now going to confront Darth Vader. Which, at this point, if you're one of the original, uh, if you're one of the original like audiences and watched this in the '70s, you have no idea. You know that they have some sort of backstory, they have some sort of history. But you know, if you've watched everything from leading up to A New Hope, you know that these guys have a lot of backstory, a lot of history. Well, there's a lot of reference to Luke's father as well, too, mm-hmm. like in this film, which this is not the movie where the reveal comes yep, in. Yeah, and that's what's crazy, you know? So it's like... It's just like threads. Like, there was all these different threads anywhere, and it could go wherever it goes. And so during... I don't, this is when they go get her out of jail, or Leia out of jail, right? Yes. So I, I found that jail escape scene very interesting, because this is the 70s. Not really a time that's really well known for strong female leads, right? True. 
So Leia, what I love about the scene is they get Leia, immediately she starts sassing Luke. <laughs> You're a little short for a stormtrooper, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing is that they, they make her really kind of brassy and like... Oh yeah, she brassy and sassy, <laughs> don't put up with none of your and shit. I feel like, and I feel like specifically after this, like late 70s, we get a lot of that. Yeah. Because Leia does it. Halloween comes out the next year. Jamie Lee Curtis's character is kind of like that in certain scenes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Sigourney Weaver in Alien happens in '79. Yeah, and you also in '78 get Lo- get uh, Lois Lane in Superman, who is very brassy and has like so much sass to her. <laughs> oh, I can't believe George. George Lukuk over here <laughs> making women important characters again. Tired of these goddamn cook wars. Tired of these cook wars. I want a good story about men doing men things, just <laughs> shooting men juice all over the place. <laughs> but it, you know, like it is, you know, a lot of people are talking about how fucking political Star, you know, sorry to go on this tangent. Star Wars has always been political. Yeah, Star Wars has always been political. Yeah. Star Wars is about like a fucking ragtag team of fucking dirty street urchins fighting together against fascism. Well, there was also a really strong feminist movement in the 60s and 70s. Yep. And And you were talking about, even in the 70s, you were talking about women who went brawless and I am woman, hear me roar. Like, all that, that stuff is from the 70s. So it's really interesting that it's like people will say this franchise has been like very SJW'd up. It's a, it's been some SJW bullshit going it's on. It's been in like this that the forever. Yeah. The problem is that we live in a time right now where even the people who complain about everyone being ultra sensitive are themselves ultra sensitive. Hot take. <laughs> no, but it's really cool because um, like she steals the gun from Luke and immediately starts capping dudes and starts like. You know, she's like, oh, she, she's just roasting him the whole time. She's like, oh, so you guys made an escape without a plan to actually escape. <laughs> and everyone's like, shut up, we're trying our hardest. <laughs> so she just blasts a hole in the fucking, like, uh, the trash chute so that everyone can escape into the, like, I was going to say trash land. <laughs> in a little trash compactor. And then, uh, you know, the, uh, looking back, as I, as I see the... Uh, the trash compactor scene. It's just one of those things that feels like it was just put into, like, fill time. Like, it's really weird. Like, well, I love that it gets referenced again when we get to Force Awakens. It does? What's yes. It? And I will not tell you when. You oh, have fuck to. Off. It's when we watch it again that you'll, that you'll see it. Oh, my God. I gotta wait, like, <laughs> six weeks for this to come up. But I actually really like this scene. Well, the reason why I hate it, and this is me talking as a gamer boy that wins and plays video games, like, there's certain things that this YouTuber causes, like, artificial time wasters, which is just dumb shit that you do in a video game that's meant to create... It really is there just to eat up time, but it creates, like, useless drama. It's an action scene. It, it, it just feels like... Uh, it's an action scene. Uh, it's a, You have to give these three characters a little bit of time together to get out of a situation together so that we can believe that they are the main ensemble of this series. I guess... I'm just, I don't know, I just, I, I thought it was just dumb. I think it's better that you have something like this in here, because otherwise it would feel like three 
disparate different elements that it's like just, have no reason to all be together. It's just like it's four minutes of Leia sassing everybody in the trash compactor again. And, I fucking love and, this scene. And Han being useless. I love this scene. I don't want it to go away. I mean, you're what just, I, you're just gonna have to put up with whatever your fucking hangups are. On yeah, this. I will because, you know, I, this movie was made like 40 years ago. There's nothing I can do about it now. <laughs> nothing well, I can bitch about on the internet will not, change this shitty scene. Not if George Lucas is anything. George Lucas is gonna recut this thing again in like five years oh we one can only cry <laughs> but um what was it what i did like about this scene is that luke took charge i felt like it, it there there's a lot of character development and i guess like this scene is kind of important because it does show you how luke went from being an annoying little shit to suddenly like you know, like he kind of he kind of remained cool up until consider he almost died. The, consider the fact that by the time we get to the Disney trilogy, that Luke, Disney Han, Wars. and Leia, like they are all considered folk heroes. Like you have to give them situations where they can get out of something that looks almost certainly impossible because that's what builds a myth. It's just a really seventies trope. Okay, moving on. <laughs> So they managed to escape, and this is where I get a little confused. Why did they break up into two into two groups? Because Han and Chewie run off, mm-hmm. and then Luke and Leia run off in another direction. I think it, no. My understanding was that Luke and Chewie went off to kind of like, you know, ambush the ambush some of the. Uh, Oh, wait, now I remember. They were going to the Millennium Falcon, and then Luke and Leia were going to get Obi-Wan. That's yes. what happened. Yep. All right, so, on their search for Obi-Wan, we get a, we get a scene, a very important scene. A scene where Luke really, uh, you know, he, he thinks outside of the box, and he manages to save him and Leia from, like, certain doom. Now, when I was a kid, I very distinctly remember Leia... I don't know if it was as a thank you or as a, oh, I hope we don't die. She just plants one right on Luke's lips. And they fly and they swing across. I couldn't help but notice that uh, she just looks at him in the eye and was like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the one I watched to prepare for this episode. How did you feel about them removing the infamous kiss? <laughs> Well, it's... The incestuous, infamous kiss. It's awkward. It's an awkward thing when you... Because it's it's much like... It's interesting because much like the trope in Halloween where Laurie Strode and Michael Myers are siblings is one thing that you cannot divorce yourself of when you're, like, watching it, despite the fact that in the original one, they have no relation to each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't... It, it, this is the same kind of situation where I can't think of a situation where Luke and Leia were not ever with each other like like i mean you know what i mean like i I can't think of a situation in which they were not brother and sister Mm -hmm. so it just feels awkward right like it feels like you're watching somebody kiss their sister like just there's just no way around it so i it's the one part where i'm like yeah this is where you're you're like it wasn't planned ahead as much as George Lucas likes to lead on. Yeah, that he it needs was. to shut the fuck up about that. Because very clearly this was written as a one-off and he just needs to like... I just want him to fucking stop, stop trying to play us and just admit it, you know? But the thing is, it's like if you're going to awkwardly take out the kiss scene, 
then it's like, why didn't you edit out all the weird lines of Luke and how how beautiful he thinks Leia is? Well, because probably then, because if Luke doesn't know that that's his sister, then and he seems like a very virginal boy. I feel <laughs> like that's super creepier than. Than the kiss. Oh, his dad is fucking creepy as fuck. That's not the point. He doesn't know his dad, okay? <laughs> like, he, we we know his dad is creepy. And we know his mom is also just as creepy. Because she's been wanting to, you know, fuck her da- or their dad since he was 10. So, yeah, we know this is a weird, fucked up, gross family. But at the time, it's like... This is such a fucked up world that we're talking about. <laughs> No, like, someone asked me to explain the Star Wars, like, series in one, like, sentence, and I told them that it's one family fucking up the universe for 60 years. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, like, the train of thought I was going on, there's later on when they escape the, they escape the Death Star, there's that, like, weird exchange between Luke and, (laughs) Luke and Han, where Luke's like, man... Leia's some girl, isn't she? And then Han goes, do you think a guy like me has a chance with a girl like her? And then Luke gets super <laughs> salty and becomes a little bitch. He's like, no. <laughs> but you see, like, I felt like that dialogue is way creepier than The Kiss. And it's like in a world where t- if Tom Brady's making out with his kids, like, why is it weird all of a sudden to have fucking Han and Leia kiss? Well, again, I think I think that's one of those things where it's like, it's kind of a product of the time, maybe. Like, now, if you watch the Star Wars series now, it doesn't imply any kind... It actually implies some sort of homosexual relationship between Finn and Poe in a lot of ways. Like, the new series... <laughs> the best bromance ever. Nah, dude. <laughs> Which, uh, and then, uh, I mean, Last Jedi does, like, posit... Last Jedi does posit the idea that, that Finn and Rey, or at least that Finn has some sort of feelings for Ray that who knows if she may or may not uh, reciprocate for him. Uh, we'll, we'll get to it when we get back to Last Jedi, but I feel like Ray is too much of a fucking child to understand anything. Like, what? <laughs> like she was raised by fucking dirty desert urchins. So like, was Luke. Luke yeah. is also He's very also, much- that's what we're saying, he's also super virgin. It's too. like, yeah, it's these guys who are just, like, developmentally stunted. And they're, like, asexual as fuck, so yeah. that's why it's super weird to think of them in relationships. Right. Like, that's why if you go into, like, the super... Awful- Which is why I think Empire will fix that, because it's gonna repoint the relationship as being between Han and Leia. And then, you know... Force Awakens super repoints that. <laughs> oh, God. So, they manage to, you know, escape. Luke and Leia, uh, they they meet back up with Han and Chewie. They manage to get back on, the, or they're trying to get back on the Millennium Falcon. In the meanwhile, Obi-Wan finally has a confrontation with uh, Darth Vader. Where... Essentially, Darth Vader tells Obi-Wan that the student has now become the master. Mm -hmm. They have a very slow and clunky, nothing... It looks like two geriatric motherfuckers having a a lightsaber fight. (laughs) A far cry from the awesome, you know, fight we saw on Mustafar in episode three. Yes. And then this is where Obi-Wan... Turns off his lightsaber, and as I so eloquently put it last time we did a Star Wars episode, 
fucks off into the force, <laughs> never to be seen again. <laughs> and the reason why I say fucks off into the force is because we've seen what happens when a lightsaber strikes human like flesh and man meat, right? It comes off. It comes <laughs> off. And apparently there's blood. Yeah. Which is weird because then you go to episode three and then there's cauterizing of the wound, but I'm not going to get into that science, right? But, you know, it cuts off, there's blood. He just fucking disappears and his cloaks fall and the lightsaber lands. So you, it's, that's why, it's to me, it's never really explained, does he die? Probably. I mean, and he's probably, probably super dead, yeah. He was probably <laughs> on death's doorstep for a long time. And this was the moment where he knew it was all over for him. He's a very spiritual guy. He seems to have a good understanding of what's going to happen. So it's one of those things where maybe he thought that by distracting Vader long enough and kind of putting this whole thing to bed, it would give Luke enough time to ascend to where he needed to ascend to become the new hero of this story. And another thing when you're the movies provide such a good context is that awesome lightsaber fight from episode three makes this feel more important than if this was the first movie I'd... If this was the first movie I'd ever seen, I probably would have been like, what the fuck was the point of that? Yeah. Right? Like, it's... Like, I... It's so ingrained in my memory now that this leads to this that I don't know if I could picture a time uh, before the prequels in, 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 in a situation like that. Supposedly, there's a re, there's some. I don't know if it's a fan-made scene, but there's like a scene somewhere on YouTube where, uh, they do they recreate the Darth Vader Obi Wan fight in A New Hope, but with closer action and like choreography to that of Episode Three. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I don't think I want to see that. Like, I want to see it out of curiosity. But I also don't want to see that because it would be really stupid. It's really stupid to me that old characters in the Star Wars universe can use the Force to, like as steroids. <laughs> I guess it's cool when it's Yoda because it's Yoda, right? Because then we also find out that Yoda's race has super stupid long life, like life, uh, what's it called the uh, life expectancies, which we don't know who Yoda is yet. Oh shit! Spo- like, oh, that oh is fuck so you! Cr- yeah, we do. Well, like in this oh yeah, movie, in the context of the story, in the context yeah. of this one film, like that's the thing that's interesting when you think about it. Like I, like I, when I watch this movie, I try thinking of it in terms of a one piece, thing? one piece of a whole movie. Yeah. At the same time, what audiences would have thought at this time, and that's one of those things where it's just like God, it's so hard for me to divorce like the context that those prequels provide for this yeah. universe. So they manage to escape from the Death Star. They fly off to a planet that's not Alderaan. I don't remember, but they no, obviously. But they they fly. I'm assuming it's the same place the rebels were in Rogue One. I think so. Yeah. So they fly there, and this time using the using the 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 plans for the Death Star. They managed to come up with a plan. Uh, they sent two, two or three different teams of uh, mm-hmm. X-wing and Y-wing starfighters to go and attack the Death Star. Now, Stardust. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. They're bringing Stardust to fruition. Yeah, right? it's super. Now, this go back to what I was mentioning earlier. The contrast between the climax of this film, 
where there is essentially a dogfight between maybe nine different ships or nine different like starfighters as opposed to the bombastic climactic final battle in rogue one right the war film aspect yeah you know like this isn't really like it's really interesting because it's so different like i don't know if it's like they just didn't it's like how much can you do in 77 right but that's the thing it, it besides the fact that yes like i feel like it, it works better that it's simpler and that the scale it's scaled down in that way but that's the thing these guys are the hope these guys yeah. are the hope their job is to go and get it done mm-hmm. and the reason why rogue one feels more dramatic is because they were the people who had to sacrifice everything so that people could have hope again but you only send like nine ships like i don't know like i guess i just feel underwhelmed i feel underwhelmed because when we have rogue one and you know you have rogue one and you they send like it's huge freaking ship carrier battles and you have all this craziness and you have not akbar like directing traffic and sending a ship to kamikaze into another ship or into the Star Destroyer to crash into another Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know. It's like, it's weird. Like, I feel... Well, because this movie is a lot more fantasy. Again, again, yes. Because this is a different type of movie that's being told. Because essentially, Rogue One is a heist and war movie. Mm-hmm. All in one. This is like, I think I agree. It's, it's very much a fantasy movie. It's a space opera and whatnot. But, it, you know, it's just crazy that... Again, going back to the fact that George Lucas obviously didn't think that his his franchise would ever get to these proportions. I don't know. This is where one of those things. This is where the experience of watching them as they are meant, quote unquote, meant to be watched, kind of uh, kind of backfires a little bit. But I mean, that also that being said, I don't want to take away anything from the final scene. I thought it was I thought it was awesome, and especially again going from the character development aspect and. Coming it from that angle, from the hero's journey, yeah, mm-hmm. Luke kind of like comes into his own. He he believes in the Force, and he becomes that new source of hope for the rebellion. You know, so he manages to, um, well, you know, they they scramble together. The the ship, there the ships are ready to take off the from the planet. Luke runs into his old friend from Tatooine. It's around this point that Han tells him, "No, like I'm not going to go help you." Yes. And Luke, with some sassiness, tells him, oh, yeah, you're going to save yourself. That's what you're good at. And I'm like, whoa. (laughs) So, obviously, Han feels bad about that, but he flies away. And, essentially, it's like Red Squadron with Luke as the new Red Five. Because Red Five died in In Rogue Rogue One. One. And it's like Red Red Squadron and Gold Squadron are trying to... And I think the original Red Five in Rogue One... The guy is actually B-roll footage from the original Star Wars. That's movie. right, he is. So they end up fighting their way through, uh, kind of like the inner canals of the Death Star. Uh, Darth Vader personally takes two other Tie Fighters with him, and they go and they attack, and essentially they decimate the 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 Rogue Squadrons. Um, and then uh, right when you think. Darth Vader has Luke dead to rights and he's about to kill him. You know, these these shots come from off screen, destroying the other two TIE Fighters, and then uh, ends up clipping Vader's TIE Fighter. 
And in comes the Millennium Falcon, saving Luke, last possible minute. Luke disengages his targeting computer, trusting Obi-Wan in the Force. Fires his uh, proton torpedoes right into... Uh, the right spot. The right in the right spot, because Stardust, baby, remember that? <laughs> <laughs> and they manage to fly away with the rest of the... Or the remaining members of the squadron and watch from a distance as the Death Star explodes. And I love that you get, like, that very unassuming look of uh, Grand Moff Tarkin because they, they're they they're in uh, within striking distance of the of the uh, Rebel base, right? Yeah. And they're about to destroy that planet as well. And just, like, right when you th- he thinks that he's got him, it just... Yeah. Everything explodes. And I was like, that's very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially after this piece of shit killed all of our heroes in Rogue One. This yeah. is it. This is our fucking payback for Rogue One. Yeah, I know. That, like, it does feel that... Uh, you're right. After watching Rogue One, you feel that much better watching them die. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> like, it's yeah. kind of... That's crazy. And, uh, you know, once that is over, then the film essentially ends uh, on Yarvin 4, where our heroes are all getting medals. Fuck yeah, baby! <laughs> And you know it's it, it's they they are the heroes of this battle, and you get the impression that this is the the where the tide changes in the war. You know what I'm going to compare it to, and it's going to be really interesting. But stick with me. It reminds me of the dynamic that Denise Richards, uh, Casper Van Dyne, and uh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, Neil Patrick Harris had in Starship Troopers. Like, when there's that scene where they all, uh, where, like, Han and, uh, Han and Luke are hugging each other right after the battle, and Leia runs over and hugs the two of them, and then everyone just, like, all the, the rest of the rebellion, like, surrounds them and shit. It reminds me of that scene where they find the brain bug, and the three of those characters reunite, Mm -hmm. and then Neil Patrick Harris is like, they're afraid! (laughs) The bugs are afraid! (laughs) Man, I want to review Starship Troopers. That's such a good fucking movie. <laughs> but you know, like I guess, like going back to the trash compactor scene. <laughs> Why the fuck are we going back to the trash compactor scene? <laughs> Why? Because I wanted to give you. Oh fuck you! Then I won't give you like no, credit. You no, no, I need to fucking hear this now. No, because because I... if you waited until the end of this goddamn movie <laughs> to bring us all the way back, I have to hear what the fuck you're about to tell me right now. I guess you don't really get to appreciate how happy they are and appreciate their whole experience unless they got through something like the stupid ass trash compactor scene. So I guess I get why it's there. We're going to be talking about the rise of Skywalker. You're going to go back to the trash compactor scene. This really brings me back to the trash compactor scene from A New Hope. Anyway. It's going to become the new Batman-like reference and everything. (laughs) Everything goes back to the trash compactor scene. How stupid it was. So yeah, roll credits. Our uh, Our heroes get their medals. Everyone is a good boy that gets a head pat, and that's it. The movie's over. Franchise is over. You can end right here, as George Lucas originally intended. But, as we're watching this as part of an overarching series, we know that where we're going to go next is escalation in the war. 
And I am very excited about reviewing Empire Strikes Back because that is my favorite film in this franchise. So I cannot wait until we get to that episode in two weeks. Bad things happen to good people in this in that episode, or I mean in that movie. Yeah, I like darker chapters of of movie series. So really? Because it's right up my alley. Oh, so you must really love the Infinity War. Remember that? Remember how that was a dark chapter? There's nothing dark about Infinity War. <laughs> There were no stakes attached to Infinity Remember War. Remember when everyone got snapped away? It's still, I, there was no stakes about that. Half people... The entire planet of Alderaan dies in this movie. Half the fucking planet goes away in Infinity War. There's Half the no, universe! Fuck you! That's, give, a, that's way bigger stakes! I don't give a fuck. It doesn't feel that big. It doesn't feel... What can I tell you? I don't want to go, Mr. Stark. <laughs> yeah, sure. That felt big. That felt big. Like, that but, felt bigger than all the other people dying. But that was an improv line from Tom Holland. You can thank Tom Holland for giving any stakes to Infinity War, not the actual fucking writing that they tried to do in that stupid ass movie. I don't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to the Jurassic Factor. <laughs> <laughs> now listen to me. If you put Tom Holland in a trash compactor. Oh my god, I swear to god. Thanos in a trash compactor. <laughs> oh god. Anyway, so the real question is do you like trash compactors? <laughs> okay. Okay, the real question is <laughs> So do you like this movie? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I love Star Wars Episode 4, or as we're just calling it, Star Wars for the sake of this uh, review. But, of course, this is the movie that launched the entire franchise. Uh, this was an amazing, groundbreaking film of its time. Um, it is something that Disney bought for billions of dollars. Like, this is... The, there's no way to understate the culture. Like, if we're talking about when we did our Avengers Endgame series... We talked about how, whether I like Infinity War or not, <laughs> the Marvel Cinematic Universe has created a moment in time and a universe on film that is never going to be matched no matter what. Like, it, it, it was the right thing at the right time, and it changed the way that we watch films. This movie does the same thing. This movie was one of the first blockbusters that existed. I think before this, only Jaws was something like that. In the 70s, people were watching things like The Exorcist and The Godfather. Those were like the pop culture movies of that decade, right? I know. And this yeah. is and, and and a lot of it was like just gritty gritty crime movies, um super dark cop dramas, like, you know, like just like, this was Al Pacino's heyday. Like all the, the 70s was not filled with any real attractive male leading actors like we have now are you like, saying al pacino wasn't attractive it was a time where all these like weird character actors became megastars and now suddenly you have hunky freaking harrison ford just just dripping in sexy swagger and a young boy well, no, think of it this Mark way Hamill. think of it this way because i'll put it to you this way and if we're looking at it in terms of the modern world that we're living in now you have guys like Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. These guys are not normally the tentpole star of your superhero franchise. Oh, no, not at all. They just happen to be the guy, the right guys who are casted at the right moment 
that became these like mega stars now because of this. And that's kind of what the 70s was like. It's like all these guys that weren't supposed to be stars became stars. But Mark Hamill was a very young looking guy. He was mm-hmm. a very good looking guy. Harrison Ford was a very good looking guy. Hell yeah, he was. Carrie Fisher was very attractive. Oh, like God. these this is a film full of really attractive people. They it was a lot lighter in tone than a lot of the movies that were in the 70s. It was bringing us out of that very dark post-death of Kennedy, Watergate. Like, there was a lot of, like, crazy shit. The Manson family. Like, there was so much crazy, weird shit that happened in the 70s that it was so dark that this was the movie that was starting to now push us into the time of the 1980s. Yeah. And, you know, to answer the same question is, yeah, keeping it simple. Yeah, I like this movie. I'm to- I would have totally been okay if this was a standalone film. I'm glad it wasn't. Yes. I'm glad that, you know, they were... For all intents and purposes, we make- I make a lot of jokes, and I shit on George Lucas a lot now. And as much as a very transparent money grab the rest of the franchise was, it's still, like, a very revolutionary franchise. And I like will say... It cha- this... Oh. I will say this original trilogy is his real art. Yeah, this is the good one. The money grab is after the trilogy. Is literally everything yeah. after. No, well, that's the thing. Like, even the sequ- even the sequels in this trilogy are still a cash grab to me. Mm-hmm. But at least it's done with enough art. Like, art and, like, love for the craft. And I'm like, okay, like, this is clearly somebody that... That, um... You know, it took time, regardless of how much uh, you know how much money was offered to him. He took time to really construct this story, and it's like even to go to the uh, as far enough as to give us that triumphant jubilation in Return of the Jedi after taking us to such a dark place in Empire Strikes Back. So I'm really excited to see where this is going to go from here, um, especially now knowing, much like Rogue One, what comes after this. Yes. You know, instead of Return of the Jedi being the grand finale, now it's like it leads into a whole new saga of heroes and their spy, or you know, and their battles. And I think that you know that's what what's to love about this is that there's it's generations of heroes fighting the same battle of good versus evil. You know, this movie's also the reason why we're doing this franchise. This, yeah, why it, we're doing it, this project? Why we're doing? <laughs> do you like Star Wars? You know, it's it's such a cultural touchstone. It's such an important movie in the history of film that it was worth us kind of coming together and say, let's do the whole thing. Yep. So I really can't wait to see where it goes next. Uh, I I have to say, out of all the Star Wars movies that we've talked about now, I probably enjoyed the conversation on this movie more than any of the ones that we've done so far. For me, it's between this one and Rogue One. Yeah. And surprisingly, Solo. I I had a lot of fun talking about Solo, but I think it's because it was such a different film from uh, the other Star Wars movies we reviewed up until then. But it's funny because when we first started talking about doing this series, I debated about whether or not it made sense to watch the original trilogy first or watch the prequels in a chronological order. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, this series is kind of making a good case for watching this in chronological order. Oh, totally. <laughs> like, it is. It's like, re- at, when we were in the doldrums of, like, 
episode one and episode two, mm-hmm. and then like part of episode three, we were just like, God, and then like, is this really worth it going through all of this to get there? But now that we've gotten through the really good prequels, and now that we've gotten to the movie that launched the entire saga, yeah. like that, it, it really does feel like I said, like a much more full experience because of it. Yeah, and also, well, also want to retcon something. I did enjoy. Uh, the episode two review that discussion because I I like roasting Hayden Christensen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I came at him pretty hard in that episode. So uh, we'd like to thank everybody for joining us uh, for this episode. Please like just please continue to rate the show on iTunes. Continue to download it. Continue to download the episodes. Continue to interact with us on social media. We're so excited that we're at this point in the franchise. Um, we're taking another break from superhero movies, which we talked about last week, but Thank I'm God. still very excited about it. Next week, we're going to watch uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, the new Quentin Tarantino movie that was released last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm very excited to see that because I've seen every Tarantino movie up until now. And I'm, interestingly enough, I've also, because I know that part of the film has to do with Sharon Tate and the Manson family, I've also been listening to some true crime on them as well, so I can't wait to just kind of absorb the world that uh, Tarantino has created in his new movie. Oh yeah, do yourself a favor, learn as much as you can about the Mansons and the Manson family, and then go watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've already seen it. Angel hasn't seen it, he's gonna watch it, we're gonna review it. Um, we also got a couple of reviews in the works right now. We still want to do, along with Star Wars, we still want to do Do the Right Thing, 500 Days of Summer. Angel threw out the idea of, uh, reviewing Forgetting Sarah Marshall because we're in, like, this weird phase where we're talking about man breakup movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we might do that. We might have, uh, we might some, have some guest hosts coming on in the super near future. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you guys want to learn as much as you can about the man's family, go out, watch, uh, One Spot on Time in Hollywood. Make sure you have a spare three hours to go watch it. It's a fucking long movie. <laughs> and uh, and in two weeks, we'll be right back here for Star Wars where we discuss The Empire Strikes Back. So yep. uh, until next time, I'm Angel. And I'm Avi. Later, turds.